The word at Holy Cross this Advent is anticipation. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I'm Dale Meyer. This podcast is designed to get you and me into God's Word for this Sunday and beyond. In this Sunday's Gospel, we'll hear more about John the Baptist. He anticipated the coming of Jesus. John knew that it wasn't about himself. He pointed people to Jesus. Now, 2,000 years later, what are you anticipating? Or whom are you anticipating? Let's join Vicar Leeper and Pastor Wright. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Leeper. And this is Get Right for Sunday. We're looking at December 13th, the third Sunday in Advent, and we get to talk about John the Baptist again. That's right, if you didn't get enough of him last week. Well, he's an integral part of Advent because he really does point to the coming of Jesus. Right. Uh, He's the first one who points him out and says, there he is. But in this text, it's a little different. Um, He's not, well, he's definitely pointing to Jesus, but he does it in a a roundabout way. So the Pharisees send messengers to John the Baptist, which I think is telling, and I have no problem saying, I'm reading in between the lines. Uh They hear about John the Baptist because um, even though it's not mentioned in this text, camel hair belt, unruly look, drinking honey and eating bugs. I'm sure that draws attention. But he's also preaching. He's re- he's preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is near or at hand. Right. Or, or, Which uh, was kind of our, our big theme last right. week because yeah. we were talking about that message of, of repentance that John is bringing to kind of prepare the way for Jesus. And so I'm sure this gets the attention of the Pharisees because it's contrary to what they've been preaching. Uh, Pharisees, they're, they're law-bound. Mm-hmm. Do this, do it right, and God will like you. Uh, oversimplification. Well, and, you know, the call to repent is also a law call. It's a mm-hmm. call to do something. It's saying, turn from your ways that are wrong. The kind of difference is that the Pharisees are concerned about different things than John is concerned about. Well, yeah, the Pharisees are pointing out really just purely action. Right. Change the things you're doing. Uh, and do them right, and do them perfect. And mm-hmm. if you have any questions, just follow me, and I will yeah. show you the way, and then judge you on how good you're doing uh-huh. or how bad you're doing. And you're absolutely right pointing out that this is different for John the Baptist, because this repentance is a change of everything. It, it, it's holistic. It's your mind. It's your body. It's your actions. It's your words. Right. This and, isn't a don't eat this, eat this, or right. like wear this and do this specific thing. It's like, turn your whole life around. Right. And that's contrary to what the law of the Pharisees have been teaching, because Mm -hmm. again, it was all, well, frankly, just outward. Right. Um, And now, I don't want to discredit the Pharisees. They believed in God. Yes. And they believed that if they followed the law, they would appease God. In fact, much of their theology is relatively correct of all of the religious Mm -hmm. Jewish groups at the time. They were the most on the money, but they also kind of missed the big picture. Yeah. And so when John the Baptist shows up, he's preaching contrary. They don't really want to deal with him because they think he's some upstart causing problems. And so they just send 
messengers. Messengers (laughs) show up. Hey, John the Baptist, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And who are you? And I I love John the Baptist's answers. I'm not the Christ. He just flat out says, I'm not the Christ. Okay, so if you're not the Christ, who are you? Are you Elijah? Because Elijah is supposed to show up. And he's supposed to be the big prophet that's going to usher in the Messiah. And I think this is this is very interesting because while they're asking the wrong questions, they're also asking the right questions. Yes. And I think that's kind of interesting because these, these titles get thrown at Jesus mm-hmm. too. They ask Jesus, you know, when, when Jesus asks his disciples later on, who do people say that I am? Uh, they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah or one of the prophets. These same titles mm-hmm. get thrown out and these... Uh, it, it's kind of weird to say like, oh, are you a guy that died like 800 years ago? Uh, but the fact that they're throwing Elijah's name around is significant. They're they're looking for mm-hmm. a Messiah. And, and they're, they're, they're connecting dots. They're hoping. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some anticipation in here. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if you listen to the tone of the question, it's almost accusatory. And it's not, are you the one? Is this it? It's almost, are you this guy? Right. And not in a good way, which I think is interesting. And I have no problem saying I might be projecting on the Pharisees and the the messengers, but they don't look like they're happy to hear and see this. Mm -hmm. Well, they've been sent out with the homework assignment. Right. Figure out who this is. Yeah. Um, Figure out who this John the Baptist is. What does he want? What is he doing? And so he says, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not even the prophet. And I think it's important you hear the definite article, it's not just a prophet. Yeah. John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. Right, I think we said that last week. Right, so even if he's not claiming prophet status, he still is, because he's prophesying about the uh, immediate coming of the Messiah. And so they say, who are you? And like we talked about last week, John quotes Isaiah. I am the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And it's interesting because it's, again, um, he diminishes himself, and, and not in a demeaning way or anything like that, but no, I'm, I'm nothing special. I'm just the voice. Well, and this is this is kind of his, his MO. I mm-hmm. believe he says later on, I must decrease so that yeah. he may increase. Uh, that's something I think we're going to get into in this podcast is how John views his role in relation to Christ. Well, and uh, yeah, just to finish up the summary, um, John says, I baptize with water, Jesus as I come, and baptize with the Holy Spirit, the one who comes after me. I am not worthy to untie uh, his sandal. Right. And um, this all happened uh, next to Bethany across the Jordan, and that's just location. Again, it shows it's out in the wilderness. It's not Jerusalem. It's not a special place. It's just a no-name place where this happens, where the gospel comes. Right. But your statement, uh, the idea of who's John the Baptist, especially in comparison to the gospel, uh, John flat out says, I'm not your guy. I'm just the voice. I'm just the one preparing. I'm just the one who is making ready. And it's not, he's not getting Jesus ready. He's no. not the um, pre-show. 
He's getting you ready. He's getting <laughs> the, um, the people who are being baptized ready. He's setting the stage for us for Jesus to come in. Right. He's, no... he's making straight the paths. He's, you know, making ready Israel. Absolutely. And with that, we really get to see and hear the application for us today that when John the Baptist preaches, it's not about him. He doesn't make this big deal that uh, he was sitting in his uh, lazy boy reading uh, (laughs) uh, the newspaper and he got a call from God, John, get up, put on your camel hair, your leather belt, and go out and baptize, preach, and forgive sins. Now, he is called by God to do this, but he goes and does this because he's a good servant, because he is uh, he's faithful to the call of God, however this call took place. Right. We're not, we're not really told. Right. But how does he do this? How does he implement this? By always pointing away from himself. Yeah. Uh, in a couple verses, if not the, the whole next chapter, when Jesus is actually baptized, uh, he puts himself in his right spot. It is I who should be baptized by you, and mm-hmm. you come to me. And again, he recognizes who is he. He's just a servant. Yeah, he's got a great grasp on his yeah. his role. Jesus still throws him for a little bit of a, a loop because Jesus' role is so counter to everything. Right. Uh, but he's got a pretty good grasp of, of who he is and what he's supposed to do. So to, to chase down a, a rabbit hole just a little bit and curiosity on my part, how do you think the messengers responded to hmm. this? Because they didn't get the answer they're looking for. No. And I don't know if they were picking a fight um, or if they wanted to catch him, you know, so that they could get him, get John the Baptist in trouble with the Pharisees. See, I, I actually don't think so. I don't think, uh, like, I, I recognize that John the Baptist is, you know, being a little countercultural and, mm-hmm. and causing a little bit of right. trouble. But I, I think we so much hear the antagonism of the Pharisees towards the end of Jesus's ministry. I actually don't think that's what's going on here. I think they're curious. They're trying to figure out who he is so they mm-hmm. can figure out how to deal with him. Uh, and there's some there's some wrong assumptions going on oh, yeah. with that alone. But I don't think they're immediately like, how can we destroy this John the Baptist? Mm-hmm. Because they really don't act against him. Mm-hmm. They don't, uh, they get called out by John. They get called a brood of vipers yes. later on. Uh, I'm sure they aren't like his fans, but they don't act against John the way that they act against Jesus. And I so it, I think they're mostly on like a fact-finding mission so they can figure out how to deal with this guy. Who is he claiming to be so that we can uh, kind of put out the press release, uh, inform people what to do about this guy so that we can kind of have control of the situation? Well, see, with that, uh, I, I don't have a problem pushing a little bit on this because they ask a really big question. Yeah. By whose authority do you baptize? Mm-hmm. By whose authority are you doing this? And uh, again, the Pharisees see themselves as the authority. Now they see this in connection to God and, and his work. They recognize that God is the Almighty. But whose authority are you doing this? And with that, I, I, I again, I, I think it's interesting because John points away from himself. Mm -hmm. He points to God. He points to the one that is coming. He points to the simple fact that he is a humble servant. And this is huge 
because this is what we should be doing. Right. Our lives should be evidence of the one who is working in us. The life that we live should be the one or one that points to who we believe in and what we have been given right. in that. Well, because their question, their question about his authority comes in the form of, of this. They ask him, then why are you baptizing? If you're not these guys, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, because those would have been things that gave him authority to, to be doing what he's doing. Right. You don't have any of those credentials. Uh, who, who gave you the right to do this? Um, if, if you're not these guys, if, if you really are, as you say, just a guy in a desert preparing mm-hmm. the way, uh, how can you do this? And his answer is Christ. Right, and what I like about that is for the office of the ministry, when you hear the pastor say, I forgive you your sins, mm-hmm. it doesn't stop there. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And right there you see it's not the man standing before you giving forgiveness, but he is the voice of God giving you forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And so, again, who's the one doing the verbs? Who's the one who is acting? Who is the one who gives power to those words? Well, it's God. I think this is uh, wonderfully sacramental because baptism, water. Well, it's not just water. It's water connected to God's promise, God's words. Holy communion, bread, wine. Not just bread and wine. It is the body and blood of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God's word, which is united to these really, really common things to do something uncommon. So uncommon, it only can come from God. The forgiveness of sins, life everlasting. This is the same thing that's happening with John the Baptist. And I I think the Pharisees and the messengers missed this. Yeah. Because I think you're absolutely right. They are on a pure fact-finding mission and they want to know, how do we deal with this? Mm-hmm. Not, what is it, and what can we do with it? Right, because John, John is not giving facts. Right. He is not here to, to write a textbook or to, to tell you what you need to know. He's here to tell you what you need to do. Right, which again is contrary to what the Pharisees have always taught. Because they want you to do something, but they want you to do it according to their interpretation of the law so that you will be right, you'll be good, uh, you'll appease, make up what you've done wrong, where John the Baptist simply says, do this out of faith and belief, which again is holistic because this changes your perspective, your outlook, your relationship with God. God is no longer the evil taskmaster that you're hoping to do just enough good to squeak into heaven. No, you get to see the forgiving, loving, gracious God who washes you clean, who brings you into his kingdom instead of, I don't know about you, did you really do all the work that I told you to do? And, and John is John is pointing towards Christ who will accomplish those things, right. who will do those things for us. That's what he's here to do, and that's what he is doing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the, the, the wonderful promises of seeing and hearing John the Baptist preach and work. It is the simplicity of him pointing to Christ. And that pointing continues to this day. It's what the liturgy does. It's what the hymnody does. It's what the readings do. And it's what your pastor and your vicar should be doing. (laughs) 
Uh, it's really getting out of the way so that Jesus can be seen. Yeah. Now, with that, the pastor, the vicar, the preacher, uh, the teachers, they're all pointing. And you should see Christ, you should hear Christ in those actions, in those works. And when asked by whose authority or why are you doing this, you're not Jesus. Why right, are you I'm forgiving? not Elijah. I'm yeah. not the prophet. I'm not the Christ. Neither are you. Right. And the comfort of saying, by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I give you his gifts. I serve you his promises. Um, I'm just the guy that gets to do it. I'm just the voice. I'm just the hand. I'm just the whatever. And the way that we know that this is what we're doing is because of who we're pointing to. Right. Um, if we're up there pointing to ourselves or to our even our like body of doctrine or any of that uh, and not to Christ, then we're not doing what John did. Because what John did was he focused on pointing to Christ. And, you know, that's what we are also called to do. And that's what you are called to to receive. And with this, um, symbolism is really big mm -hmm. in the church, in the Bible. And one of the reasons that I wear the black clerical, and the reason I say I'm wearing a black, Vicar's wearing a gray one, so I'm going to pick on him a little bit on that <laughs> one. Um, and, and the reason I've told you to wear a clerical also, the idea that the black is a representation of sin. Uh, I wear my sin. I, I show people that I, too, am sinful. But as a pastor, I wear the, it's the Roman uh, collar because it's just a little square, but it covers the voice box. And it's the idea, even though I may be a sinner, the voice of God is still heard. See, what I'm wondering is, do we need special, like, clerical masks now oh. uh, so that the word of God still speaks through the mask? That'd be interesting. I have <laughs> seen a, a collar kind of looking mask once. Well, thanks to a member uh, here at Holy Cross, we now have uh, liturgically appropriate yes. masks. We have masks that match uh, every color of the of the church season. And they're comfortable, they're breathable, and they look awesome. I know this sounds like a, a promotion now. <laughs> but, but again, symbolism. <laughs> uh, you know, even though our mouth is covered, we're connected liturgically to right. the season and what's given and going. Because uh, the point is we're still... We're still preaching the word, and that's what we will continue to do. Rain or shine, you know, pandemic or health, that's what, and what even we'll if, do. Even if the Pharisee sin guys over, we get to answer like John the Baptist. We're pointing to Christ. He is the one who has given this message to be preached and proclaimed. And you, dear listener, get to receive. And you don't do this passively. No. You receive this to be strengthened, to be comforted, to be forgiven, to be built up, and to help build up others, and then to take that very word, that very comfort, and live it out so that others may see Christ in you. Right. That's kind of a, the cycle of this, the cycle of both receiving this, but also giving this. Uh, you are now called to also go out and to point people to Christ. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I preached a sermon about how there are detectives mm -hmm. uh, kind of watching what we do and how for a lot of people, that's the main way that they're able to figure out who Jesus is, is by is by watching us. Uh, we have the responsibility with our lives to point to Christ, to uh, point people in his direction, to his words, to his promises. And that's something we all can and are called to do. Well, in this text, we see that John the Baptist is anticipating immediately the Messiah. 
I think you're right that the Pharisees are on the outlook for the Messiah, and they're anticipating. And you mm-hmm. can hear that in the question. Well, are I'll, you well, I'll bring up some history because uh, I was doing some some reading of my own during the intertestamental mm-hmm. period, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Stuff happened. It wasn't just a time when nothing was happening. There was actually quite a bit. And uh, at the kind of appointing of uh, the high high priest slash king, Simon the Maccabee, Mm -hmm. uh, they appointed him and they said, okay, you're going to be high priest and king until the coming of the prophet. Oh, wow. And so like uh, even though they had shifted the focus away from prophecy because Mm -hmm. this was a time when there weren't prophets, they were anticipating, looking for, longing for, a prophet to return, and not just any prophet, but the Messiah, the Christ. Well, and that's what Advent's all about, that this anticipation with excitement. And I always like to say anticipation with the expectation of the Messiah coming, Mm -hmm. because he promises to come. And so we prepare ourselves, we prepare the church, and by going out and living our faith out, uh, not in a... um, showy way, but so that others can see. We're doing that. We're showing our anticipation. Well, that's the thing. Anticipation is different from just waiting. Right. You know, if I'm waiting, I can just sit in my chair, pull out my phone, scroll through Facebook. That's waiting. Yeah. Uh, Waiting in line for my number to be called or in in the car waiting for my my pickup at the restaurant. I like, that's waiting. Anticipation is a more active verb. Anticipation means... You know this thing is coming, but it's not here yet, so what are you going to do? Right. You're going to live it out. You're going to live in that expectation of it happening. Right. So, for example, if I anticipate uh, a storm tomorrow, that changes my behavior today. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a negative thing. Now, if I, say, anticipate getting an awesome present for Christmas— uh, that's going to change how I live today. Maybe I think, oh, I better make sure I get my wife something good too. <laughs> uh, so anticipation, as as we look forward to what we are anticipating, as we look to the, toward the future to what is coming, it changes what we do today. And that's the difference between that and waiting. And I think John the Baptist is a great example. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm-hmm. It's the anticipation of what is coming, the fulfillment of what repentance is, and that is, again, changing to receive what God promises. This is the joy of Advent, because we anticipate not only the birth of Christ, which has already happened, but we anticipate his return and the fulfillment of all that he has done, which is the resurrection, which is forever. And, well, frankly, it is just exciting to be able to do this. This is what we get to do. This is who and what we are. And dear listener, if you have received hope, comfort, if your anticipation has been kindled and you're excited about everything, would you please like and share this podcast so that others can be brought into the excitement of the anticipation of the celebration of Christ as Lord. I thank you for listening, and God's peace and blessings be upon you. Thanks, Pastor and Vicar. 
We hope this has increased your anticipation for Sunday and beyond. This would be a great time to invite a friend to worship with us at Holy Cross during the Christmas season, in person or live stream. Services at Holy Cross are 6 p.m. Saturday evening and 8 and 9.45 Sunday morning. That 8 o'clock service is live streamed on our Facebook page and on the website. You can contact Pastor Wright and Vicar Leeper at getrightforsunday at gmail.com. We are so glad you have joined us. Now, what's the Advent word? Anticipation.